Jeremiah chapter 20. Let's back up to verse 7, if you would, please. O Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me, and whenever I speak, I cry out. I shout violence and destruction. He was doing this because that's the exact word the Lord gave to him. It's, it's, it's wonderful when you get the call of God on your life and the word he gives you is peace and prosperity and blessing and awakening and revival, but it's a, t- a more difficult task, isn't it, brothers and sisters, to get a, a call of God to preach something that is uh, violence and destruction is coming upon the land. There may be some more discerning prophets than me, but I don't stand here today and say that I'm able to predict the future of, of America, whether there'll be a great revival. That's my hope, that's my prayer, that's my desire. And I'm seeing some inclinations that might lead us in that direction. But what if the Lord would give us a Jeremiah-type ministry and says, or even, a, even an Isaiah-type ministry. Remember Isaiah? He, he said, I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And I was undone. Then he touched my lips, and, and he gave me a call in my life. And I got so excited, I couldn't wait. And then God says, Who's, who can I send? And he says, send me. I want to go. I'm so excited about this new revival, this new awakening in my heart. Send me. I want to go. And, and God says, okay, go, because... What you say, they're not going to listen to. They're not going to hear. Their hearts are going to be cold. They're, they're, they're going to be far from me. But you preach the word faithfully. So, so it's not our task to uh, preach with uh, the, the uh, inclination that the only impact and result could be revival. That's our hope. That's our desire. But we have to preach even if there's no revival. We have to preach and be faithful and true and it's going to be hard. It's, it's harder to preach faithfully when there's no revival. I would, I would assume it's easy to preach in revival, uh, but, but, it's, but it's harder to stay faithful. And so Jeremiah is, is suffering the, the fact that he wants to preach a word that sets captives free and brings deliverance to nations and brings spiritual awakening to a very vile and wicked culture. But he's seeing that his task was to, to, to preach this difficult message. And as a result... For instance, he was put in uh, the, the stocks where they put your head and your arms and, and he was put in there for at least a day and people came by and they mocked at him, said, oh, you're the prophet, the so-called prophet. And, and they laughed at him and they scorned him. Most of us in our ministries don't have anything near that type of physical persecution come in our life, but probably everybody in this room has suffered some form of another, a false accusation, a woundful word, a church split, a, a looking at the, the desires of your heart for certain things to happen and you have not seen them come to fruition in your, in your life. And, 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 and there, there could be this sense that Jeremiah had here, you deceived me. I was hoping for this high expectation. My dreams, my aspirations, my goals, my, my, my vision was way up here, but my reality is way down here. I feel deceived, Lord. That, that's not what I signed up for in Bible school. So Jeremiah is saying, they're mocking me. I I, I preach your word, and I'm held in reproach and derision all day long. And so he's not popular. He's not applauded. He's not welcome, but yet he is faithful. But he's getting tired of his faithfulness, as many of us in this room might do at times. We get a bit weary of, of pressing on when it's tough. Some of you are facing the toughest season of your life. We're going to speak to that today. And so Jeremiah in verse 9 says, If I say I will not mention him or speak in his name, 
There is in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. I am weary and I cannot hold it in. He, he is faithfully preaching the word of God. Then he wants to quit. He, he, he wants to give up. He wants to surrender. He wants to say this is too much. But he, and, and then he says this. He says, if, I, if I, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name. It kind of sounds like he wants to quit, right? But it really doesn't quite say that if you look at it, particularly if you look at it in the Hebrew. It, it's saying, I'll continue doing the preaching, but I'm not going to speak in your name anymore. I'll, I'll, I'll continue to fulfill the task of a prophet, but, but without mentioning your name. In other words, I'm going to water it down. There's a lot of other prophets in the land who who water it down and they get acceptance, approval, growing, following. They, they get the accolades of culture, of kings, of nations, of leaders. And, and it's just because they don't mention your name. They don't really preach the truth. They, they, they hold certain things back. And it seems to me that Jeremiah is saying that. It's, it's, it's not I'm not going to mention anything. I'm not going to preach certain things. But I'm going to preach the gospel light. I'm going to preach the gospel watered down. I'm going to preach the gospel compromised. I'm going to preach... If, 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 I don't know if I should say this or not. If you go online and look at some of the most popular preachers in America today and look at the titles of their sermons, I don't even want to listen to them. It's, you can make it happen. Your, your future is brilliant. Your destiny is waiting to happen. I saw one preacher that's extremely well-known, and every sermon title has you in the name of the title. And Jeremiah wouldn't preach that. He wouldn't say, that. My, my sermon isn't about you, it's about him. It's, 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 I'm, talking about, I'm talking about the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I'm going to make him known in his attributes, his holiness, his justice. You see, if we don't, if we don't see the high holiness of God, we'll never see the low degradation of sin. And, and, and so Jeremiah paints God as a holy God, a just God, a righteous God, a true God. And, and then he wants to, he, he, just, he doesn't want to quit so much, but he just wants to take it easy. He wants to become a seeker-sensitive church. You know, he, 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 wants to, he wants to become a culturally relevant church. He doesn't want to shake things up. And, and, but, but he says there's, in my heart, as it were, See, the fire starts in the heart. It's, he says, there's, there's this burning in my heart. And, 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 it, and he says here, it's shut up in my bones. It's, it's not leaking. It's, it's, it's almost like I want to get it out. I don't want this fire in my bones, but it's shut up there. It's, 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 I tried to see if it would escape through my lungs, if it escaped through my toes, if it escaped through my nostrils. It, it won't go away. This thing is shut up in my bones. If you have the true call of God in your life, you can't run from it, you can't escape from it, you can't shake it off, you can't water it down, you can't compromise it. it you're going to try, and it, like Jeremiah tried, I, I just won't speak in his name so strongly, and, and, and it's gonna, if it's in there, it can't get out. If it's not in there, okay, now, let's get serious here for a little while. If it's not in there, hopefully it'll get in there the next couple days. But... But, but a lot of pastors' conference, pastors come and, and they say, you feel weak, you feel tired, you feel worn out, you feel frustrated, you feel discouraged, you feel depressed. 
and you feel like quitting, and, and, and we'll pat you on the back here at this conference, and we'll tell you, don't quit, you're going to make it. Maybe some of us need to quit. Seriously, if you don't have the call of God on your life, there's, there's, there, there's, there's, there, there's probably a different type of call on your life. All right? Here, here's who needs to quit. If you're living in uncompromised sin openly, maybe you're hiding it in the sense, but, but you're practicing habitual pattern of sin as a pastor, a disqualifying sin. There's adultery, there's pornography, there's something in your heart, there's something in your life that, that you're clinging to, an unrepentant clinging, and I'm not talking about sinless perfection by any means. Maybe it's time to step back for a while. Before you, before you get caught, before it becomes public, do God an honor and just say, God, take some time with me. Let me get my heart right. Let me, let me get in the place of, uh, of repentance and, and understanding how I can flow in, in the spirit of grace and mercy that, that, I, that I, I might do that. And you see, oftentimes at conferences we preach, don't quit, don't quit. We're, we're here to comfort you. We're here to sympathize with you. I'm not here to do that. All right, I, I, didn't, I didn't come, to, hold on, hold off on the clapping for just a second. Uh, I didn't come to, to, to just make you feel better. I, I didn't come to, to say it's, it's, uh, you're, you're going to be okay. If, if, you're, if we're living in sin, we're not going to be okay. Something's going to go, something, there's going to be some correction. There's going to be some, some godly correction in our life. We often believe that the greatest problem in ministry today is our burnout how many of us go to conferences because we're saying, and please, this is not a shame message. This, this is not, I'm, trying, I'm not trying to be unsympathetic towards you. I'm not trying to be lacking in gracious and kindness, graciousness and kindness to you. But I, I, many of us say that we believe the greatest problem in ministry today is burnout, discouragement, or pastors ready to quit. You've heard the statistics. 1,500 pastors quit every month. And many of them should not be quitting. They just need to hold on. But some of them, as I said just a minute ago, maybe they should be quitting and, and getting things right in their own heart, in their own family, in their own walk of righteousness before the Lord. But I, but I want to suggest to you today that maybe there's something else going on. Is it possible, like Jeremiah, he was facing something as, of an undercurrent. His problem outwardly seemed discouragement and depression, ready to quit and give up, but was there something working underneath in his heart that was causing that discouragement? Is, is it possible that under burnout is fleshly ambitions that are unmet? Is, is, is it possible that we have set ourselves on a course of ungodly ambition and, and, and striving that, that is causing us to burn the candle at both ends when God said, I never asked you to do that. I, I, I shut the fire up in your bones, not a candle on both ends. And, and so beneath the discouragement and oftentimes there's an unwillingness to stand in his counsel or, or, or beneath the wanting to quit could be a coldness of heart, a lukewarmness or even a growing bitterness. God, you deceived me. I had an expectation for ministry to be very different than what I'm facing today. And there seems like there's a sense of being deceived by the Lord. Is it possible that our powerlessness comes from prayerlessness? Is it possible that what's causing our desire to quit is, is what Jeremiah, he, you see, he didn't just say he quit. He, he showed why he quit. He gave 
several reasons for that. These are, let me just briefly touch on a few of these. Jeremiah chapter 22 and verse 22 says, and he speaks to the other pastors and leaders and shepherds of his hour, and what he says to them, the wind shall shepherd your shepherds. That's 22:22. If you have your Bibles, look at that. I want you to see that with your eyes. I purposely didn't put it up on the screen because it's just my, one of my pet peeves. When you get older, you get to have pet peeves, all right? And you get to be, you get to be a little bit cranky when you're older. But, but, but I like when people look at the Bible, you know what I mean? Instead of having it on their seat and just kind of lay, no, I'm not even going to go there. Because there'll be some other things on the screen and it's going to be amazing and the screen is so powerful and so Holy Spirit anointed. I love it. But anyway, just in, in my hour, I want you to get your Bibles out, okay? And, and look at the Word and, and, and maybe if you still have this thing called paper, you can underline it or highlight it in your Bible for those of you that are tech savvy. But anyway, look at this 22. The wind shall shepherd your shepherds. In other words, the wind... The, the, every wind of doctrine, Ephesians talks about, is just the, every new clever thing that comes along. You, you're just you're, you're you're not rock solid. You don't have a spiritual backbone. You're not standing strong in your convictions. You let every wind just push you in the newest thing. Like, oh, that that'll help my church grow, or that'll help my ministry raise more funds, or that will get me a greater following if I just move in that particular wind. So Jeremiah is despondent because he's seeing this thing happen in the church of his, his hour. He goes on to say in, in verse 16 of chapter 23, thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with, number one, vain hopes, and they speak visions of their own mind, not of my mouth. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you to everyone who is stubbornly follows his own heart. They say, no disaster shall come upon you. That's probably about 80% of the churches in America today. Telling people, everything's prosperity, everything's peace, everything's fine, no problems. Don't worry, don't even mention sin because you're basically good people. You just need encouragement in your life, filling people with vain hopes. In verse 28, it says, let the prophet who has a dream tell his dream. You see, we have today preachers and prophets, so-called prophets who are, are talking more about their vision. I wanna encourage you pastors, spend less time about the vision of your church I want to encourage you, don't do a 20-week series of who we are as a church. Do, just, just stay in the Word. Just, it's, it's, your, your people don't need your vision. Here's my vision. My vision of my church is to create a culture. Those visions are good. Mission statements are good. We, we have them at World Challenge. I had them as I pastored the church. But that's not what I preach. I, I, don't, I don't preach our, our motto. I, I preach the Word of God. All right, I preach the word of God. I say this on almost every sermon. Those who know me are, are getting tired of me saying this, but, but, I, but I, I, I believe, this is, this is my philosophy of preaching the word of God. An old preacher told me one time, he said, when you're preaching the word of God, you take your finger and you put it in the text and you tell your people, look. Look, that, that's all you have to say, all right? If you say that, you've said something, all right? If, if, you, if you don't do that and you have great stories and comic routines and skits, and videos to show, those are all good things to be added to that, but the key is to your people, look at this, look at this. If, if, you, if you lack confidence in preaching the word, I kinda do, if you, if you kinda lack, all you have to do is say, I trust the word. If, if, if I put my finger in the word 
until people look, God's going to do his work. And so, so that, that's the key there. And, and the old preacher told me, he said, when, when your finger gets tired, that's okay, you can go ahead and put it in your pocket. And he said, and then take your other finger out and put it in the Word and say, look, 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 look at the Word. So, so that's basically what we're doing today. We're, we're looking at the Word, and he's saying, don't look, at, don't look at visions and dreams, unless it's a vision of Jesus or a dream of his glory. But, but it's not about our schemes and our plans and our five-year programs. It's, it, 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 people are hungry for Jesus. They're hungry for a Christocentric church and a Christocentric word, a Christo, Christ-centered ministry. Because if, you, if it's all visions and dreams, Jeremiah's next complaint is this, uh, but let him who has my word, this is still in verse 28, but who has my word, speak it faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat? declares the Lord. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Jeremiah is saying what our generation needs is wheat, not straw. What our generation needs is fire, not burned out embers. What our generation needs a high, uh, is fire, not a, a feather to tickle the ears. We, we, we need, once again, the hammer of the word of God. So at the end of verse 32 then, Jeremiah's sort of end of his lament here is saying, so they do not profit this people at all. What a sad word that, that there's, there's not. And so, so Jeremiah sees all that and they're saying, if you're doing all those things and you're discouraged, I can understand why you'd be discouraged. But, but if you're preaching fire words, you don't need to be discouraged. If you're standing faithful, if the hammer is in your hand, if the finger's in the book, you don't need to be discouraged. You're doing exactly what God called you to do. You're, you're not called to results. You're called to faithfulness. You're called to the things that God has for us. I, I don't want to be un, in some, unsympathetic today, but I want us to get to the roots and let the Spirit of God touch our hearts and maybe root up the destructive patterns in our life that, that are causing us to be downcast. And forgive me if this sounds a bit unsympathetic, but I'm not here, as I said a moment ago, just to pat you on the back and tell you everything's going to be okay and you're going to make it through. I'm here to tell you, get fire in your bones. Get the Holy Spirit unction inside of you. Let it be shut up inside of you. And no matter how hard it gets, and, and I understand some of you have been treated viciously and you've been deeply wounded and you're grieving and you're hurting and you're suffering. I've heard pastors tell that their kids are being made fun of in the children's church and they're, they're, and they're just saying, I'm a laughing stock and, and you're suffering and you're hurting and you come here and you don't need me to beat you up or pound things on your life to make you feel more difficult. But when you're hurting and you're wounded and you're suffering, my answer to you is, welcome to the world of Jesus. That, that was his entire ministry. And, and yet you never heard Jesus tell Peter, man, I'm feeling some burnout. Um, um, did, you, did you hear what those Pharisees said about me? Uh, I, I, I'm going to take a week off on the Galilee Sea, just do a little fishing, because nothing wrong with vacations, you need them. But the danger is sometimes we weep more over being discouraged than the things that is discouraging us. The things that is discouraging us oftentimes is, is the root of what's wrong that's causing the discouragement. We're, we're, we're looking for something that God never intended us to look for. We're not receiving it, and by not receiving it, we're getting discouraged over things we should have never been discouraged about in the first place. 
we mourn sometimes over the hardship that we have rather than that we are murmuring and grumbling and complaining that we have hardship. So we're telling God, God, I'm so upset at this hardship, but we're not telling God, Lord, in this hardship, use me, in this difficulty, in this suffering, in this pain, in this dark hour, in the, in the dark night of my soul, keep me faithful, keep your hand upon me, keep the spirit of God on me, keep the fire burning in my soul, let me not grumble, let me not backtrack, let me not water down, let me not lighten up, let me not give up, let me not surrender, let me go on in the things that you have for me. So, so getting fire in our bones, getting fire in our bones. First, let's, let's just take a few moments together and then I'll close. If, if Jeremiah's answer isn't sympathy, it, 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 he's speaking of a relentless, irremovable, chronic burning in his bones. He can't escape it. And I want to ask the question, a couple questions for us today is, is, is what produces that fire? Where, where does that fire come from? And I would say to you, to answer that question, it might be good to take a few moments to say where it doesn't come from, okay? If you are a louder preacher than me, that doesn't mean you have more fire than me, okay? If you stomp your feet and run across the pulpit, somebody could get up here and whisper and have as much fire as somebody who gets up here and shouts glory to God, praise God, hallelujah. Those are all good things. I'm not, don't hear me, I'm not putting them down. But I, I noticed something one time, a little boy growing up in church, Two, pe- two preachers could get up and say the exact same thing. One, up could, one could say, Jesus is coming soon. Glory to God, the cross is the, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Everybody would be like, mm-hmm. And then somebody else could get up with the exact same words. Jesus is coming! And the crowd, hallelujah! The blood of Jesus! And like, Praise God! It's like, wow, why weren't we excited about it when it was quiet? And I'm not advocating for quietness, but I'm, I want us to understand something here. Okay, and I'm just, it's a little shout out for those of you that have a little bit more of my temperament, okay? Uh, you're a little more soft-spoken. You're, you're, you have no less fire, all right? You, okay, so fi- fire is not a personal passion. It's not a man with a lot of gumption. It, it's not somebody who, who commands presence by their charisma. It, it's not someone who has a lot of fleshly backbone. He's just a strong guy, you know? He just, he just won't give up. If, even, if it wasn't in the Christian world, he'd be the, he'd be the boxer that wouldn't go down. You know, just, it's not fortitude. It's not, it's not energy. It's not striving. It's, it, it's something different. It's not, and I would say also, it's not emotionalism. Charismatic churches are the only one where the pastor can yell, fire, 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 and nobody leave the building. Uh, And let me say this, Pentecostals don't have the corner on the fire in our bones, okay? There's there's a great move of the fire of God in Presbyterians and Baptists and Methodists and 
and Calvary Chapel, and I go to Calvary Chapel with Pastor Chris. My pastor's here with us today, so honored to have him. There's a fire in his bones when he preaches it. You see the word. He's a good man at putting his finger in the word. There's a fire that God is moving across the land, but it's not a fleshly fire. It's not, it's, it's not like a, well, I'm, I'm kind of I'm diminished in faith, and I'm kind of light, and I just need to get up there and get fire in me. No, that's not where the fire comes from. You know where the fire comes from? I don't have time to turn there. But the fire comes, I believe, from Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22 is when Abraham was called by God to sacrifice his son. So beautiful. And, 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 and it says in one passage there, he said, uh, uh, Abraham had the knife and, and, and he had the fire. He had the fire in one hand. But that's not the fire in his bones. Sometimes we, we think it's the tools we have, the, the capabilities we have, the equipment we have, the uh, the. The, the activities we're capable of doing well. So he has the knife and he has the fire in his hands. And then his son says, I, I see the fire and I see the, I see the wood, but I don't see the sacrifice. And then all of a sudden there's a sacrificial ram or a lamb that was given in his place. See, the fire is not something we hold in our hands by our strength. The fire is, I, I believe, here's my... Here's, here's the core of this message today. The fire is that Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life. That Jesus Christ died in the place of our sin. He became the atonement for us, bringing us back into right relationship with the Father. He died. He was, died on the cross. The cross is my fire. The, the burial of Jesus is my fire. The resurrection of Christ is my fire. The ascension of Christ is my fire. The glory of Christ is my fire. My fire is not me. My fire is him. And, and my fire is not trying to stir myself up to get new fire. That'll wear you out more than anything else. My fire is my connection to him. He, uh, Wesley said it best. Don't worry about drawing crowds. Just get on fire for God and people will come to watch you burn. Right? And, and by getting on fire for God, it, it, it doesn't mean somebody's going to touch you on your head and yell, fire, 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 and you fall over backwards and I got the fire. It's understanding the gospel. What Jesus, there's a lot of teen challenge folks here, and I think you guys understand it better than anybody. What Jesus has done for you, he's redeemed me, he's washed me, he's cleansed me, he's lifted me up, he's, he's changed me, he's healed me. It's all of Christ. My fire is not my own gumption. My fire is him. He is my all in all. And lastly, what does he do then? What does he do when, when he puts this fire of the cross, the burial, the death, and the resurrection, the glorification, the ascension, the seated at the right hand of God, what does he do to you and I when we have that connection of his fire in our life? He touches our bones. The, 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 the very thing that causes our skin and our blood and our brain and our muscles to move is, is centered, the depth of that is in our bones. And the first bone he touches is our knee bone. Okay? You know what I'm talking about? If not, get Pastor Carter's book about praying. It's on the table there. It's, it's getting the knees bent before the Lord. It's humbling ourselves before God. Lord, if you're going to touch any bones in my body, start it with my knee bones. 
Later on, I want the jawbone touch. We'll talk about that. But right now, let me start with the knee bone. Get on my knees before God. Cry out to him. Cry out for revival. Cry out for holiness. Cry out for a spiritual awakening. Cry out for a move of God in our land. Cry out for college students. Cry out for people on the streets. Cry out for cities like San Francisco and New York. Cry out for, for places like Oklahoma and Kansas. Cry out, God, on my knees. Would you do something? God, we need a revival. We need a spiritual awakening. And it's going to start, Lord, when you put fire in my knees and it goes to the ground and you callous them because of my desire to stay in this place of prayer. The, 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 the knee bone is called the patilla. The patilla connects the firm femur to the thigh. And, the, and, and I know nothing about medical stuff. I just looked at this on Google. <laughs> and, and the... The, 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 the patilla connects the femur to the thigh. And if you look in the Old Testament, the thigh often speaks of the strength or the weakness. And, and it's, it's our prayer that connects us to the strength that God gives us. The, 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 the patilla is also connected to the ankle bone, which speaks of the direction that God leads us. We want fire in our prayer life, and we want fire when we go places. We want the fire of God. The second one, I would say, is the tailbone to sit in God's presence, to, to, and, and not just sit in a prayer, but you might call it your sacred desk, a place maybe you have at home or your church office or your ministry office where you have your books and you have your Bible and you have your commentaries and maybe you have your laptop with logos on it or some kind of, and, and you sit there and you sit there and you sit there and say, God, I need a word. I, I, I need a word. I, I don't need wheat. I don't, I don't need chaff. I need wheat. I, I, I need a hammer. I, I need... I need fire, God. And, and you just you get on that tailbone and you say, I'm not, I'm not moving off this seat until you give me a word, God, until this thing comes alive to me, until it's awakened in my heart, until there's a passion, excuse me, a passion stirring within me that makes me knock the pulpit over. I'm so passionate about this, the, 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 this, this thing of sitting in his presence. Not your vision for your church, not your dream that you had about some coming event, but the word of God for your people, the Third one is the finger bone. I already talked about that. I, I got ahead of myself there in my notes. The finger bone. Believe, t- take that finger and put it in the word and be consistent in there. I, I, as, 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 if you have opportunity sometime this year, if you've not done this before, I want to encourage you, pastors and teachers, to, to get a book of the Bible, maybe Ephesians or Corinthians, and go chapter by chapter and verse by verse because you know what will happen? You'll preach things that you don't normally preach. For years, I tended to preach certain things and and maybe like in 10 years I hadn't preached on other things. Uh, when you go through a book of the Bible, you go like, I don't want to preach those six verses. I don't like those six verses. That's the exact scripture your, your church needs. That's exactly the things that they don't know. You're helping them grow. That's how maturity comes. So I advocate for that, the finger bone. And then the jawbone. The jawbone. Let, let, let my mouth be filled with the fire words from heaven. Let, let me speak things. Let, let the coals of the altar touch me, God. Let, let, let me not speak pop psychology or TED Talks or motivational speeches or, or a talk that you, Oprah Winfrey could give at your church and it would sound the same thing as you. Don't, Lord, keep me from speaking those things, but let me speak with the jawbone of fire. Jeremiah 15, 19 says, if you utter what is precious and not what is worthless, you're, you shall be as my mouth. You'll, you'll be as God's mouth to your people if you'll say things that, are, that this jawbone is filled with fire words. May I read this poem to you? I, used, I almost never read poems in my teaching, but let me, let me read this. It's called Fire Words by Amy Carmichael. 
O God, my words are cold, the frosted frond of fern on a feathery palm, wrought on the whitening pane. They are near to fire as these my words. She's painting a picture of a, a wintry day and the, the frost is on the window pane. And she's saying that window pane is near to my words right now as, as fire, as, 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 as that coldness out there. Oh, but that they were flames. Thus did I cry. And God did answer, thou shalt have words, but at this cost, that thou must first be burnt, burnt by red embers of a secret fire, scorched by fierce heats and withering winds that sweep through all thy being, carrying thee afar from old delights. Doth not the ardent fire consume the mountain's heart before the flow of fervent lava? Wouldst thou easily, as from cool, pleasant fountains flow in fire, say, Can thy heart endure or thy hand be strong in the day that I shall deal with thee? For first the iron must enter thine own soul and wound it and brand it, scarring awful lines indelible upon it and a hand resistless in tender terriblessness must thoroughly purge it, fashioning its pain to power that leaps in fire. Not otherwise and by no lighter touch are fire words wrought. And we want fire words, but they are often wrought by the suffering we go through. And that suffering is not meant to cause discouragement, despondency, or, or a desire to quit. It's meant to bring a, a hunger to, to get words from heaven, to get the, 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 the knee bone knelt before the Lord. Two last things. One is a backbone that, that you have, not in your own strength, as I said early, but a, a, a Holy Ghost empowerment to withstand storms that you, having done all, stand, that you stand strong, right, church? That you stay with it no matter what is happening. And then, and then lastly, the, the eye socket. The eye socket. Two minutes. Can I have two minutes of your time? Hebrews chapter 12. I think he's telling me my time is up. Uh, Hebrews 12, 12. Therefore, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. I'm talking about the eye socket here. Why am I talking about knees and drooping hands? It sounds like it's a sympathetic word. You're, you're, oh, come on. We want to lift your hands up. You're kind of feeling a little weak and you've been fighting so hard. It's, it's a, it sounds very sympathetic in a good way. But if you look at the original Greek here, the word drooping means lithless or surrendered or dropped down. It's not somebody who's just tired of the fight. It's somebody who just, it, it's, it's too hard and I don't want to go on anymore. And, and this, the, this weak knees, the word weak there, is Jesus used it many times when he healed people who were paralyzed. Same Greek word, paralyzed. And so, so he's saying there, you've let down your guard, you've surrendered, you're not worshiping, you're not praying, you're not seeking God, and, and, and in your whole life, your whole family, your whole ministry is drooping, and it's, and it's not exactly a word of encouragement, but he's saying make straight your pastor's feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint. It's, it's, this passage is a warning passage. But praise God, it's not just a warning passage. It has a solution. It has a remedy. And the remedy was given before the malady. You can avoid this if you'll remember what I said to you at the beginning of this chapter. And it's found in verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The cloud of witnesses is not talking about 
I, 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 hi, I'm Noah, and I built a great boat. Noah's talking about Jesus now. That's his witness. Abraham is not saying, uh, uh, you know, I'm the father of many nations. Abraham is saying, I want to tell you about Jesus. That's the cloud that is telling us. It's telling about Jesus. How do I know that? Because verse 2 tells us it's set, what is set before us. Verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's our man. That's, that's the man Christ Jesus who is, who is now seated at the right hand of God, but he endured suffering. He endured hardship, never complaining, never murmuring, always just offering it to God in prayer. And he's telling us here, if you want weak hands lifted, if you want drooping hands lifted, if you want weak, paralyzed knees, you, don't, you just can't seem to move anymore. It, it's not found in uh, a double portion. It's not found in a fire on your head. It's not found in, in any of those things. It's found in this one simple thing. It sounds so simple we don't want to hear it, it's, but it's, it's the core message of every true man or woman of God, looking unto Jesus. Look at Jesus, savor Jesus, taste Jesus, enjoy Jesus, move in Jesus, breathe in Jesus, pray in Jesus, talk in Jesus, sing in Jesus, rejoice in Jesus, fellowship in Jesus, put your clothes on in the morning in Jesus, lay your head on your pillow at night and say, Jesus, 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 no one's sweeter than the name of Jesus. There's no greater glory than the name of Jesus. There's no one like the man Christ Jesus who reigns, who rules, who has victory. It it is not Caesar. It is not Biden. It is not the U.S. government. It's not China. It's not COVID. It's nothing. Jesus rules and reigns. Jesus has all authority. Jesus has all power. Jesus is the name above every other name. Tell me what I want to preach about. I want to preach about Jesus. Tell me what I want to pray about. about uh, I want to look to Jesus. Tell me what, get in a small group and fellowship. I don't want to talk about counseling. I don't want to talk about my marriage. Those things are fine. I'll do that a little bit. I endured 44 years of marriage. I can go on without it for a little bit, a little bit longer, all right? My wife and I have had a successful 44 years of marriage because we like to talk about Jesus. We like to get on our knees at night and pray to Jesus. We, this, thing is, this thing is about Jesus. No sweeter name. No sweeter name. No, no. There's nothing, nothing like the name of Jesus to restore the soul. And, and that, that is the fire in our bones. It's Jesus. Name above all names. Counselor, Savior, Master, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Peace, Savior, Eternal Father, Jesus, Jesus. We thank you for the name of Jesus. We thank you for the name of Jesus.